there. Find verse 12. Don't forget you can always use your electronic device, a tablet or phone. If you have a Bible on that, you can use that as well. If you don't have a, blue, a Bible with you, you can always use a few Bible right in front. should be the blue book. It's been a good Christmas year, I hope, for you. It's good for us. We spent time with our kids and grandkids, and especially since they, before the well, Harper was sick, so we didn't get to spend much time with her. But um, the others made up for it, you know. Grandkids can do that, right? They can make up for, for when the other, their siblings are not there. So uh, Christmas is just getting more and more special with grandkids. and uh, We enjoy them a lot. Um, today we're going to end the year with the Christmas story a little bit further. We're going to go a little bit more in the Christmas story today. We're going to talk about Jesus and prophecy. Have you ever thought about how everything in Jesus' life fulfilled prophecy in some way and somehow, that we ought to think of it that way. We ought to be looking at Jesus and seeing how he fulfilled God's word that was given before he was born. Think about it. From the reason why he was sent, why was he sent? Genesis 3.15 tells us he was sent to crush Satan. Satan is the one who induced, tempted Adam and Eve to sin. To the way he was born, Isaiah 7 verse 14 said he would be born to a virgin a young maiden, she was Mary, to what he would do. His name, his own name means the Lord saves. So he came to do one thing, to save us, to redeem us, to fit us, to prepare us for heaven, to how he would suffer and die. Isaiah 51 is, this, is the passage in the, in the Old Testament. It's called the suffering servant passage. You can go and you can read about every aspect of Jesus' suffering and death on the cross, even to the idea of who would do that to him. The soldiers that did that. Every detail. Even his second coming that we're waiting for today. Even his second coming is described in prophecy. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Look, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Yeah. During this year's Advent, we looked at every aspect of Jesus' birth. We, we looked at at Joseph, we looked at how Jesus came uh, in the flesh as the divine coming in the flesh. We talked about Mary's calling to be the mother of Christ. We talked about the wise men and how they sought Christ, that they had that calling, that compelling to go and look for Jesus. So we looked at all these different aspects, but there's one more part of the Christmas story that I want to talk about today. We need to examine this part too as well, and it needs to be connected to the Christmas story because it's all about Jesus and prophecy. This passage that we're going to look at in a little bit, it tells us how important prophecies are and that how some of the most important prophecies were fulfilled when Joseph took Mary and Jesus and went to Egypt. So let's look at this passage. Verse 12, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill the boys, all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time 
he'd learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the gracious, wonderful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our King. We thank you, Father, for Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago. We thank you, Father, for his, his uh, fulfilling of your word. And we thank you, Father, for how you protected and watched over him, even as a child. And we thank you, Father, for the hope that we have that someday we will see him coming in clouds of glory. And we will rejoice because of our walk with you. Because of our faith in him, your son. So today, as I share some thoughts on this passage, Father, I would just ask for you to guide and direct me. Guide and direct my thoughts and my heart and my mouth. Help the people to, to hear you. I pray your spirit would come and, and rest here amongst all of us and, and lead us in your word and to be filled with hope and joy and strength and maybe to be called to saving faith in Christ today. Maybe there's someone here that's been waiting to hear from you, to draw them to Christ that he might bring them to you. I pray for that, Lord, for your glory and their good. And I ask, Father, for your blessings today on all of us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Christmas story is almost exclusively good and, and positive and hopeful and encouraging. But this part, this detail, this part of the Christmas story, this, this escape to Egypt has details that are harsh. It's a harsh look at, at the reality of the world that we live in today. That there are even today people threatening children. This part reminds us that life without God is, is often not good. I think that's true. I've, I've experienced that in my own life. It reminds us how much people really need God in their daily lives. Let me ask you, do you need God in your daily life? Amen? Yeah, we do. We might have given our life to Christ years ago, yet we still need Him in our life today. And we're going to need Him tomorrow. And the day after that. It's amazing how God works in a person's life. If you take time to look in, at your life in the past and see where God's hands swept through your days, it'll be amazing to see that, to, to think about that. It's amazing to see how God provides and protects people. It's amazing how God fulfills His word and His plan. God's always working on His plan, and He's always working through His word. That's what prophecy is all about. That's what makes prophecy so important. If you have your outline out, it's on the back page of your program today. Point number one, God told Joseph, take Mary and Jesus and go to Egypt. Flee to Egypt. Look with me again at verse 12. It says, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. After worshiping Jesus, after bowing down before him and giving him those gifts, that gold, that frankincense, that myrrh, the wise men went home. They had done what they were called to do, and it was time to go home. So they went, and God warned them in a dream, don't go back to Herod, take another route. So they did. They went a different way home than what they had come through. And then God sends another angel to Joseph. You know how I know God sent that angel to Joseph other than the Bible says so? Because angels only do what God tells them to do. 
Think about that. Even, even the fallen angels only do, if God tells them to do something, they do it. Now, they also follow their master, Satan, but they will do what God tells them to do. That's a divine principle, by the way, that we as his people ought to learn and follow. Do what God tells us to do, and then everything will go well for us. That's hopeful for next year, isn't it? What's God going to do in our life next year? I don't know. I, we are going to have to wait. But I think he's going to do something. I think he's going to see us through some things. I think he's going to bless us in many ways. And I think he's going to use us right here in Lawrence, Kansas. That angel said to Joseph, look at verse 15. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Jesus is just a young boy. He's about two years old because the the scriptures say that, that Herod went and killed all the boys two years and under. So he's roughly between a baby and a boy and a two-year-old boy. And he already has enemies. Have you thought about that? A baby boy. How can a baby boy have enemies? Well, Jesus did. Obviously, Satan was one of his enemies. Satan wanted to kill him. And so was Herod. Herod was his enemy because Herod felt threatened by a little boy. Isn't that something? I think Satan manipulated and used Herod to try to kill Jesus. I think Satan, you know, the Bible is very clear about this. Satan is always opposing Jesus and his plan. He's always in opposition, working against his plan of salvation. And even then, he tried to kill him as a young baby boy. Even at that young of age, Jesus had enemies. Herod was envious of Jesus. You can see that in the conversation and the reaction he had from the Magi. He resented Jesus because he was the the coming king. And Herod didn't want to give up his power or his throne. He had never met Jesus, but yet he wanted to kill him. Jesus was a threat to Herod's position as a ruler and as a man. Jesus had enemies his whole entire life. Some of them were his own people. It's prophesied also in Scripture, too, that he would have these enemies. Psalm 69, verse 4, Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. And that's something. When you read the Gospels and you see how Jesus interacted with people who didn't like him or, or didn't accept him, he never attacked them. He never tried to uh, persecute them. They had no true cause to hate him. Maybe disagree, but not to hate. Jesus had enemies because he upsets the natural order of a fallen world. Read his, read his story. Read the Gospels. You'll see he's always upsetting the natural order of the fallen world around us. And the world doesn't like that. Say a prayer at a public event in Jesus' name and find out what the world does. It will instantly begin to complain and cry out that's discrimination. And this is why the church has always had enemies too, because of Jesus. We follow Christ. So his enemies are our enemies. The church's role in this world today is very simple. We make it a lot harder than it has to be. It's to let Jesus use us to upset the natural order of a fallen world. And friends, that doesn't take a lot of effort. We just got to be faithful people of Christ. We just have to follow Jesus and do what Jesus said. And that will ordinarily, that will just naturally upset the fallen world around us. When the church takes a stand against evil of any kind, it upsets the natural order of the world. When the church ministers in Jesus' name, 
That upsets the natural order of the fallen world. It causes people to attack the church. See, the, the world doesn't mind if we do good things for people, but just don't do it in Jesus' name. See, that's the rub. Psalm 35, verse 19. Let not those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Let not those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peacefully, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. Even those of us who are just simply going about our lives, living out our faith, will be attacked simply because we say we follow Christ. Because Jesus had enemies, His church will have enemies. Because Jesus was threatened, the church will be threatened. Because Jesus was attacked, the church will be attacked. But guess what? God is always with us because we belong to Him through Christ. He is always with us. He will never abandon us to our enemies. The Bible tells us so in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Because God has also said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Amen. Get your strength from God. And you can overcome anything in this world. You, you can go through anything in this world that it throws at you through your faith in Jesus Christ. Oftentimes that's all we're going to have, friends. That and each other and God Himself. So Joseph, he took Mary, he took Jesus, and they got up in the middle of the night. They didn't waste time. They didn't stay in bed till the morning. They went that night and they went to Egypt because God said so. Point number two, by going to Egypt, another prophecy was fulfilled. Look at verse 14. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, now, reading that, we might think the only way Jesus could be saved was to go to Egypt. But God in His infinite power, His omnipotent power, could have saved Jesus right there in Judea just as well as He did in Egypt. All He had to do was strike Herod down, right? So the idea is He didn't send them to Egypt to save them. He sent them to fulfill His Word. And that word is quoted by Matthew in verse 15. It's from Hosea 11, verse 1. Hosea 11, verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, Hosea's prophecy cannot possibly be referring to the nation of Israel, like some people think, because Israel was called out of Egypt over a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. When Moses led Egypt or led Israel out of Egypt in slavery when they left Egypt for the promised land. So it has to be a prophecy that refers to Jesus, who, by the way, just happens to be called the Son of God. Isn't that right? We talked about that in Christmas, in Advent. Remember what the angel Gabriel told Mary about Jesus? It's in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So the prophecy is fulfilled when God calls Jesus back out of Egypt. So it's not sent, he's not, he didn't send Jesus to Egypt to save him. He sent him to fulfill his prophetic word. Jesus fulfills prophecy. Prophecy has always been seen as proof of the Christian faith. All the way back from the very beginning of the founding of the church, it's always been seen as proof of the Christian faith. Prophecy is God telling the world not just the church, but the world, hey, X is going to happen. 
X, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. X is going to happen and how it will happen. Here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to tell you in advance. And then he tells us how it will happen when it happens. He tells us here's how you can know it happens. The Bible is just full of divine prophecies. And all those prophecies throughout the Bible point us to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The, book is, the Bible is a book of prophecy that reminds us who God is. It tells us who His Son would be, that His Son would be Jesus. His name means the Lord saves. That He would be born of a virgin. That He would come and save His people. God is all about foretelling His Word. God is always about proving Himself to be true, trustworthy, and righteous. In Numbers 11, verse 23 the people of Israel were in the desert with Moses. They were hungry. They were tired of that, of the bread, of that manna bread they were eating. They, you know, you ever eat one thing a lot and then get real tired of it? And they did. They got really burned out on eating manna, and they wanted some meat. And so Moses goes and says, "Look, the people are crying out. They want meat." And God says, "Well, you know what? I'm going to give the people enough meat for 30 days." I mean, we're talking about well over half a million people. And he says, I'm going to give you enough meat for 30 days. And Moses basically laughed at that. Laughed in God's face. Can you imagine? You know what God said? Listen. Numbers 11, verse 23. The Lord answered Moses. Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Let me ask you. Is the Lord's arm too short? What has God done this last year? What has God done in your life? that proves God's arm is incredibly long. That it can reach out of heaven, down to this world, into your life, and touch you in such a way you know it's only God. We've all seen that, right? Amen? We have. We might not realize it, but we've seen it. And it's amazing. Prophecy is proof that God can and will do what He says He will do. Prophecy is meant to strengthen our faith and help us trust God when life gets hard and harder. When life seems to fall out of control, when life seems to just attack us like you did when Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus. Point number three this morning, Herod's response to not finding Jesus in Bethlehem was vicious. Now, Herod is representing for us the world. Herod is, is a representation of how the world reacts to God. And I find that amazing, don't you? That our world turns against God, but that's what sin does. That's what the old nature causes us to do. We turn away from God and we run away like the prodigal son. Let's look at verse 16. And when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now we see another prophecy being fulfilled exactly as God said it would be. Verse 18, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You know, parents, can you imagine losing a two-year-old baby? Your boy, maybe maybe the oldest boy, maybe the oldest child, maybe the only child. Can you imagine that? Maybe some of you have. Maybe some of you know what that's like to lose a child. I, I've not lost a child. 
I can't imagine that. I, I, I think about that once in a while. That thought flits through my mind every now and then when my one of the grandkids or one of the kids gets sick or has an accident or something goes on. And you wonder, you're fearful for a moment. And you read this and you see there's weeping and great mourning. That's no wonder, is it? Mothers love their children. Or they're supposed to. A voice is heard in Ramah. Ramah was a town that was given to the priestly tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin as a tribe was not allowed a portion of Israel. They were only allowed to own towns. So they lived all over Israel because they were supposed to teach the people God's word. So they lived in all the different areas of the 12 tribes of Israel. And here we see that the tribe of Benjamin had some people living in the town of Ramah, not too far from Bethlehem. And Rachel is viewed in many ways as Israel's mother. She wasn't the biological mother of all 12 sons of Jacob, but she had two. Two very important ones, Joseph and Benjamin. And so she is viewed as the mother of Israel's godly people. And Herod sent soldiers to the town of, of Bethlehem and Ramah to kill every boy. Kill every boy under the age of two. I'm sure they killed a few others as well that but they weren't sure what the age were. This is how cruel Herod could be. Remember, Herod killed his own children, killed his own wife, his mother-in-law, killed his own brother-in-law, killed people just because he wanted people to, to be dead and to, to cry on his day of death. He didn't care about anybody else. Herod was concerned only for Herod. That's something. And this prophecy was given through Jeremiah. It was fulfilled twice. Once before... When Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel and took young men into Babylon, men like Daniel. Remember Daniel? Took men like Daniel, young boys, teenagers. He had them all gathered in Ramah, and from Ramah they went there into captivity. So their mothers there weeped for their sons then. But it also came true a second time when Herod sent his soldiers to Bethlehem and Ramah to kill those little boys. And again, we see how Israel cries over the death of their children. Does this make God seem cruel to you? That God would allow something like this to happen? Some people would say, yeah. And it could seem cruel. It does seem cruel, doesn't it? We have to be careful about blaming God for what the world does. See, God will even use what evil people do to complete His plan. He will work through people, even evil people, to see his plan come to fruition. What was his plan? To call his son out of Egypt to prove himself and as who his son is. Yeah. The fulfilling of God's prophetic word is all about proof. Proving himself, proving who Jesus is. Now God didn't make Herod kill those little boys. Herod didn't have to kill those little boys. Herod chose to do that on his own. But God fulfilled his word to call his son out of Egypt through Herod and what Herod did doesn't make God cruel. It just shows us how cruel the world is. Another man knew God's goodness, a man by the name of Job. Everybody heard of Job, right? Yeah, he has a book named by him. It's a great book. You ever discouraged? You ever want to know what it's like to go through something terrible and come out the other end? Read Job. Even though God let him experience the terrible loss of all of his children, he still praised and thanked God and worshipped him. In Job chapter 13, verse 15, Job said this, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. 
indeed this will turn out for my deliverance. Job said, look, all this bad stuff I'm going through, it's going to push me to God, and it's going to bring about my own salvation. It's going to bring about a deeper walk with God. He said, for no godless man would dare come before God. And that's true. So as you study your Bible this year in 2020, in the new year, and I hope you'll do that, by the way. I hope you'll not just read it. I hope you'll study your Bibles this year. Remember, the prophecies about Jesus are proof that He is who He says He is. He is who God said He is. He is who the Bible says He is. They show His trustworthiness, His reliability. And through prophecy, we also know about His second coming. Jesus said this, that when He comes again, everyone would see it. And He encourages us to watch for it. In Luke 21, verse 26, He said, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehension of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Something's going to happen at the end of time that's going to get the whole world's attention. This world is going to be shaken like never before. And then he says, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. We will see Jesus coming back. And then in verse 28, listen to what he says. And this is for the church. And when these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. I love that. I want to see that. I want to see that happen. And I'm going to see that happen. Whether my feet are on this earth or my feet are walking the streets of heaven, I'm going to see Jesus coming back to this world. Everybody will. We all will. And we'll look up. And we will be amazed and we will be so, so thankful that it's all done. Will you be ready when Jesus comes back? That's a great question. You've made it this far through 2019. Are you going to make it the rest of the year? It's only a few more days. And then we've got a whole other year to live through if we get to have it. Are you ready when Jesus comes back? Are you ready to lift up? Are you ready to be encouraged because your redemption will be drawing near? How can you be ready? The only way you can be ready is by having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way. By knowing Him, by knowing His forgiveness for your sins, that's the only way for that to happen, to be ready. And for you to be really ready to know Christ as your Savior, you have to know about God's amazing grace. Today as we sing our invitation song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now... And found was blind, but now I see. I can say amen to that because I know all about that. I lived a life in total opposition to God. Maybe you're not as bad as I was. I hope not. But no matter where you're at in your, in your walk, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're not ready. You still need grace. You still need God's grace. So as we sing this song, let's stand together. As we sing this song, let God speak to you from it, from His words. And you sing it. And if you're ready to give your life to Christ today, would you come forward? I'd be glad to help you do that. I'd love to help you do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. And we thank You for this moment in time that we could stop and sing this song it's about Your amazing grace. And we ask You to do that work of amazing grace in all of our lives one more time. 
and that you would speak to each heart that's here today that maybe there's somebody who hasn't known your grace that way. We pray for that today. Pray you would move someone today, Father. A closer walk to you, a, a step towards the cross, a step to Christ. We ask this, Father, for their good and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.